Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at the Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. In today's episode, we will be talking about very interesting case in which a certain business entity, a bank, used artificial intelligence to analyze people's emotions. I think that, you know, for our first episode, this is a quite interesting case to pick. And just to give people some context and background, the main purpose of this podcast is, you know, for two GDPR nerds to sit down together, analyze different cases and point out all the interesting stuff and all the interesting takeaways. Uh, you know, for anyone who is interested in working with data protection and privacy. So I think that, you know, our decision to focus on this case today was a very conscious one. So Ria, why don't you give us a bit of a background on the case? What was the bank doing? Yeah, so basically, this was uh, Budapest Bank using AI to analyze the emotions and feelings of uh, the people calling them to see if uh, anybody was so annoyed that uh, someone from the bank's support team had to call them back and calm them down. Wow, I just have to say that that sounds absolutely incredible. So what you're saying is that all the customer uh, calls in general support calls would get recorded and then some kind of software would analyze how people feel just to determine who should be called back yeah yeah that was exactly what happened and uh, so i'm looking at the uh, the summary done by cesar at the gdpr hub and uh, the ai was analyzing such as uh, voice speed volume and pitch to identify customer dissatisfaction and the interesting thing here is that this wasn't only the callers, uh, who could be both customers, I presume, and non-customers, but also the employees' voices was analyzed. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that, Milos? So I think, uh, look, I think that there are so many data protection issues here. Like, where do I start? This is an iceberg and I don't even see the top or the bottom for that matter. Uh, no, I think it's it's just genuinely fascinating. So, so you know, let's talk about both how that affects customers and employees, and I mean, analyzing emotions, my God. But um, I just have a question before we start talking about all of those data protection issues, and that's, why would you want to do that? Uh, I mean, what's the point here? Is it to like reduce uh, the number of time people spend analyzing which customers to call? Is it to provide better customer service? Like, I mean, how do you even determine something as nuanced as emotion by using AI? Is the technology there? It's interesting because I think that often we tend to think that technology is the answer to everything, right? Just put technology on it and it will solve itself. And the bank argued that they were using this to resolve customer dissatisfaction. I just don't get that purpose because why wouldn't you resolve the dissatisfaction on the call and if you couldn't why not escalate it yourself to a manager why have uh, some tool analyzing all of the calls uh, the calls and then you know just thinking about the the heightened compliance risk here so i'm not sure what do you think no i mean look i am very skeptical towards anything ai related uh, and I mean, this is grumpy GDPR, so I just have to say it outright. I just think that, you know, uh, selling AI products often turns into this exercise of smoke and mirrors, you know, um, 
it's basically, it sounds very fancy, it sounds very good, but when you think about it, it makes so much more sense to do exactly what you're proposing, you, you know, to have a customer rep write down, you know, this person was slightly annoyed, let's maybe call them back later, because a human being is going to be able to, you know, analyze something as nuanced as emotions as uh, in a much better way than, than AI ever could. And I think actually that's something that does have data protection relevance, because I think that one of the things the Data Protection Authority actually focused on in their decision was the fact that the system outright didn't work or that in like more than 90% of situations, it uh, didn't generate any predictions or didn't generate accurate predictions. So it's- Wow, uh, that's it's... incredible. 90%? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At least uh, that's what's mentioned in decision. And I think that, you know, that's, I mean, can you imagine paying probably a lot for an advanced system, which is supposed to analyze I mean, imagine building a computer to analyze sarcasm. It will go wild with us uh, today. But I mean, you buy this advanced system, you spend lots of money to do something more easily accomplished by people, and it doesn't work and creates, you know, so many GDPR issues that you end up getting a fine. Yeah. Yeah, no, there are so many uh, wrong things about this whole uh, case. And and one thing that I found really interesting that I see with a lot of the people that I talk to, to my clients and others, is that we are still not grasping what is personal data. And uh, please don't call it PII. That is a US term in Europe and in the GDPR. It's personal data. That's data that is identifiable directly or indirectly. And the bank argued here that this isn't personal data. But how could you then know who to call back if it wasn't personal data? So that also is, I think, is just really uh, should be an eye opener to many. Yeah, I mean, that's such an interesting discussion because the bank basically argued that uh, this system is isolated, it works by itself, the data is therefore pseudon... I, I can never say that word. So, Pseudonymized. You know, thank you. Uh, and uh, and that therefore, you know, the, the AI system itself, which was the subject matter of this complaint, did not handle personal data. I wish it were that simple, right? I mean, then yeah. you could just say, you know, in this system, I only have whatever, like, um, you know, yeah. yeah. So I think that that argument in itself doesn't work. But um, you mentioned the US. I think, you know, there, there have been some proposals to actually define PII, personally identifiable data, based on the risk of re-identification. And I think that, you know, in Europe, we essentially do have the same thing, because GDPR does say that uh, in order to determine whether somebody is identifiable, you will look into what's reasonable. So I don't think that, you know, uh, the current interpretations of the Court of Justice, which basically turn everything into personal data, because everything is reasonably easy to re-identify if anyone can get legal access to it. It's just yeah. not too reasonable, but that's the way that the law is. I think in this case, arguing it's not personal data just makes no sense. Yeah, no, for sure. And also a huge issue here was uh, the lack of information. So the customers, they were informed that the calls were being recorded. But the bank admitted that they weren't uh, telling them anything about the use of AI. So what do you think about that? I don't know. I was just about to ask you what you think about uh, information and transparency, because uh, just to give some background to, to our listeners, uh, it is a guest lecture at, uh, at our school. And one of the topics we got into a discussion during, uh, during one of the lectures was how far the duty to inform actually extends, how detailed the information should be. 
Uh, and I think I'm very much on the dark side, in essence, just you know, do the bare minimum for compliance. And this is a tricky case because let's say you call a bank, they tell you this is uh, this conversation will be recorded for the purposes of training employees and improving our services. Press one if you don't want to record. And then you say you consent to recording, but then you find out later that your data have been analyzed using AI. I'm a bit split on this one because the bank argued that it wouldn't be reasonable to list all the details of data processing on a phone call and that they had a few sentences on their website. Uh, whereas the DPA obviously said that that's not enough. Uh, what do you think makes sense both from the terms of GDPR, but also from business practice and things you do with your clients? Yeah, so uh, obviously because our discussion revolved around like how um, extensive should a privacy notice be. And it's contradictory in the law, obviously, because you have all of these requirements for uh, information to the data subjects, which is a pretty long list. And then on the other hand, you're also obliged to provide the information uh, in a clear and concise and uh, short way. So it, that's not always uh, so easy when you have to, at the same time, fulfill all of these various requirements. So this is why the EDPB and uh, data protection authorities, they recommend us to have like just-in-time notices or layered notices. So on a call, you could have like the very bare minimum. You have to inform them at least that you are recording and that you're using AI. And there shouldn't be just a few sentences on the website. It should be a few paragraphs at least. And you can also layer the information there as well. And if you look at like, if you're going on a ferry, for example, and they are recording your car registration numbers, obviously you can't go around showing everybody the privacy notices uh, for that processing. So you have to be creative, you know, you have to use like signs and icons and whatnot. So, but at least as a bare minimum, I think that you, you need to inform about the use of AI. It's such an interesting thing, you know, because, um, I mean, to me, just again, hearing the very basics, uh, thinking, you know, they say generally they're recording the conversation, they're saying that they will use it for uh, improvement purposes. I'm just thinking that, you know, maybe that is an example of a layered notice. Uh, because again, and not to be the devil's advocate here, what they did was wrong, but I mean, they do have a point in saying that you cannot force people like everyone who calls to to listen to, you know, a detailed explanation of every conceivable potentially high risk processing. Maybe that's the keyword here, right? Maybe because it can be seen as like uh, something that would trigger a DPAA duty. Maybe that's why yeah. uh, they insisted on information. So. Another takeaway from this decision is that uh, conducting a DPA, a DPIA isn't a silver bullet for compliance because they were, were heavily dis uh, criticized for that as well. And I think that one way of, uh, of at least mitigating the risks here would have been to ask data subjects. They should have had like a focus group of some people representing customers or uh, the best would be to ask actual customers. Like this is the information that we typically give. Uh, are you surprised to know that we are using AI? How would you have preferred to receive this information? So I think that one thing that is like really heavily undervalued in a DPIA process is actually asking the data subjects. 
I agree. But you know what would be interesting? It would be to see if uh, somebody like Facebook, like we know that Facebook started with like emotional analysis in what, like 2011, even probably further back. It would be maybe interesting to see how they inform of, uh, you know, use of uh, AI to determine people's emotions, for instance. Because I feel that yeah, like, I'm afraid you know, uh, we won't see the best practice cases there. That is just my speculation, <laughs> so I don't know. But uh, yeah, that we should check that out. Yeah, how about we check out and then inform people in the next episode? Haha, <laughs> operative word being informed. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I think this brings us back to the discussion. Then, if we're saying that you think, uh, let me not put words in your mouth, but. From what I understand, you're saying that the notice requirement uh, was increased or like there was additional scrutiny there because the authority perceived this as a controversial processing, let's say as a, con as a type of processing that would normally require a DPA. Do you really think um, that there was any actual risk to the data subjects here? Because once again, one could argue that this was not... Um, Sure, there was new and novel technology, but at the end of the day, there weren't any legal decisions or any decisions which would significantly impact them. Well, before I, I answer that, I think uh, you raised an important point that, that we should mention as well, because what is uh, super interesting about this decision is that the DPA, they held that automated decision making was carried out here since it's not a prerequisite that the software makes the decision itself and that it is sufficient if the processing is intended to produce an outcome that influences the decision makers, which is uh, a new interpretation of automated decision making that I have seen from any other cases or interpretations. And according to my peers on LinkedIn as well, uh, a lot of people are very skeptical, skeptical about this approach. Oh, wow. So just to get it straight so what they're basically saying is that uh automated decision making is still automated decision making even if there is no final decision made by the software yes. but rather a decision which influences someone yes i mean that makes no sense you know but then microsoft excel is uh automated you know like if i download an excel file which uh contains a certain and data, use conditional it, formatting yeah, exactly. And that influences my decision. There it is, automated processing. Yeah, anyway. so I think that is an interesting point that I will definitely keep my eyes out for uh, for the upcoming decision. So the, everything's being posted on the GDPR hub. Uh, so uh, you can stay up to date there and on the GDPR today newsletter as well. We will add links to all of this in the show notes, of course. Wonderful. And... Um... So we talked a little bit about why this processing was problematic. And I think one of the key points that the DPA focused on was actually um, lack of compliance with the data protection principles and specifically, obviously, transparency. But in addition to that, with the purpose limitation principle, because you call a bank, uh, you talk uh, with them you know, about your different, uh, let's say, problems, customer issues and so forth. And then they repurpose this data in order to actually run some kind of emotional analysis and they do so in order to retain you as a customer. And then the DPA says that essentially customer retention is the same as marketing and calling your bank, looking for customer support, is not compatible with the purposes of marketing. You have changed the purpose to an incompatible purpose. Um, 
I don't know what your take on that is. Do you do you think that um, there is clear lack of compatibility here? I think I pretty much agree, actually. Um, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, to be honest, I don't think that is the uh, the worst one. I would say that uh, the uh, using the uh, the results from analyzing employees voice is much worse like if i were to focus on anything it would have been that type of repurposing because if i understood the decision correctly so the bank also used um, the uh, the patterns from the employees voices as well to make decisions regarding employees yeah, I think that's uh, that's exactly the the you know the very interesting aspect of this case. The you know, second very interesting aspect, in addition to transparency, the processing of employee data. I think uh, I think if I just take a quick look at the at the case itself, and uh, and you, as you mentioned, the our Hungarian is a bit rusty, so this is not going to be very eloquent right here. But I think that the bank itself actually mentions. Uh, mentions this somewhere that they explain uh, basically how how little they've done um, uh, yeah because they yeah. were criticized as well for uh, lack of adequate safeguards mm, exactly so i think uh, i think one of the main points in any case was that the bank said that they are using it only on a case-by-case -case basis uh, but in order also to to improve kind of performance by individual employees and to give their managers you know, an overview of how many cases, for example, an individual employee is handling. Uh, and obviously the processing itself is problematic because you can't differentiate between, um, you know, voice tracks of the employee and the uh, customer. So then the emotional analysis is going to be run on everything, which means that you need additional safeguards to make sure that no manager says this person has been sad for 25 days. So let's just fire them. Yeah, and, and, and worse is that, so you have uh, this uh, ev caller every now and then calling into the bank, having their voice and uh, everything analyzed. But what about the employees doing this on a daily basis, getting analyzed the entire time again and again? Like you could start to see some really interesting patterns there. Maybe there are some uh, times of the month, perhaps, that uh, an individual is uh, more annoyed or not, you know? So exactly. I think actually the worst part of this decision relates to the employees. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, even there, obviously, we can't speculate as to what kind of notice they gave to their employees, but the, but the threshold would be uh, actually very, very high. I think, um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, uh, the thing that DPA said there, I'm just looking at the decision now, they say that monitoring performance of uh, contract with regard to employees uh, may be justified in, in certain circumstances due to different labor law rules, but you still need to ensure proportionality and suitability of this approach. So if you want to measure the performance of your employees maybe don't use an algorithm that fails 90 percent of the time and don't exactly. listen to every call they make because that's going to you know that is not proportional yeah. it's not the targeted and proportional way in any case but you know what let's talk uh, let's talk nerdy let's talk even more nerdy that is let's talk about legal basis for customers and for employees so say you know you have a client you work with many clients from different countries and say that you get someone who is, you know, hell-bent on implementing some sort of an AI system. And it actually works, let's assume. And I know it's a stretch, 
But uh, when it comes to legal basis for customers, uh, how do you deal with legal basis um, in a case like this, especially bearing in mind that initial contact is through a phone? Like, do you go for consent, legitimate interest? What do you think? So the bank, they argued legitimate interest here. And uh, so I'm sure that others would also uh, argue that you could rely on legitimate interest here, that uh, the uh, risks for the rights and freedoms of the data subjects aren't that high and that you can mitigate the risks that you have identified. I think conducting a DPIA is uh, <laughs> a sure thing uh, regardless. But personally, I would rely on consent because I find this to be, it could potentially be pretty invasive. Uh, so I would argue consent, but for the employees, what would you do there? Like, I can't see that you could justify legitimate interest for analyzing the um, employees. Maybe uh, this and that uh, random contact or caller, but for the employees on a daily basis, mm, not yeah. convinced. So I fully agree. Uh, looking into legal basis for customers, I would say, yeah. The problem is again, lack of information, right? If they had said on the phone call, uh, we're going to you know, handle your case. Uh, this is why we want to record the call and we might use advanced software in order to infer your emotions. I guess most people would then opt out. Uh, exactly. And, and that yeah. should be a really huge red flag, right? In itself. Yeah. If, if, you, if you assume that data subjects wouldn't agree to the processing, that should tell you that uh, the legitimate interest isn't going to go in your favor. Sorry, I just so, had the button no, no, there. No, 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 <laughs> thank you. Because that's really insightful. I think that's, you know, we need some kind of a sound effect to like mark major insights. Uh, but we can also just sum them up at the end today. But my God, yeah, I, I, I'm fully on the same page. I think that, you know, uh, the fact that you expect people to always say no kind of means that most people would say no, even if you technically think when, well, you know, there is really no real risk to their interests or to their fundamental freedoms still uh, are on the side of caution. And then when it comes to consent, yeah, it's probably better than legitimate interest uh, in this case. Again, most people would not consent, I would assume. Uh, and why it works in this case is probably because it makes it a bit easier to argue that it's informed uh, and because you don't run into typical like consent withdrawal problems in a processing setup like this, I would say. Like it should be pretty fine to, you know, just uh, delete records of someone's emotions if they withdraw it after a period of time. So, well, I think uh, I think there are definitely uh, efficient ways to do this. And uh, so when I posted this decision on LinkedIn, it got so much engagement like I haven't seen on any other post that I've had. And the interesting thing is that some of the people responding in the comments, they actually said that I would have been fine with this. So some people might think it's fine. So I think what's key here, if you are going to do this type of processing, provide clear and transparent information. It doesn't mean you have to talk for five minutes. You can provide uh, clear and transparent information and then just say that there's more information on our website. You can provide people with a choice. So if you don't want to be recorded, then you can press two or something like that and, and mention the use of AI as well. And I think if you, 
it's absolutely possible to solve this in a compliant way that also respects the rights and freedoms of uh, us as uh, data subjects. Yeah, I agree. And then going back to employees, uh, and I know we, we keep heading back to that, I also very much agree with your assessment that no way that legitimate interest works. Um, you know, I mean, consent also doesn't work because you can just imagine that like if your boss comes and says like, you know what, let me take a look into how you were feeling on Monday. And you say no, obviously, or you say yes, obviously yeah. it's not going to be valid consent. Um, contractual performance, uh, it's very much a stretch. Unless, you know, they pay you explicitly to participate in a psychological study. I, I can't see any other way. Um, yeah, yeah so, I, so no I way. doubt that. I think it, it, I would have looked at technical uh, possibilities there to actually... Um, uh, cut out the recording track from the employee so you only actually record the uh, callers uh, audio file so to speak yeah that's uh, that actually makes makes sense I think the reason why it's a bit tricky is because I think before like when something gets flagged by AI the way that they had it work was that then a senior customer rep would actually listen to the recording um and would uh, would then make a follow-up call so if you separate the tracks it depends again on the retention and the purposes and everything it could be a bit tricky to uh to then actually you know listen to like one sided track and make up that uh, follow-up call but uh, i agree yeah, with you true. maybe some kind of technical solution was possible to implement so exciting why games. not just have a button that the employee could press and then uh, flag it as a call why don't you just get rid of the whole expensive non-functional ai and just uh, you know find a better way to actually solve the purpose because that's what you have to do you have to go back to what is the issue at hand here and how can we solve it in a compliant way like I'm sure there are so many other ways to be solving this uh, instead of wasting money on AI that doesn't even work. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that one of the first takeaways from today was, uh, you know, you something might sound like new and innovative technology, but you should really, number one, check whether or not it actually works before you purchase it. Because, I mean, this system wasn't Skynet, quite clearly, you know, it's, uh, it did not manage to, uh, to do its job. So, like, some systems might actually just be creating additional risk for you without actually being useful. So, I think that's definitely the first point. And then, obviously, all the points you raised on uh, the legal basis, the DPIAs, and uh, the transparency What is personal data? Exactly. Uh, we can't just close our eyes and pretend it's not personal data. Maybe we should just do an episode on like why it sucks that personal data is defined the way it is. But I mean, it so is so broadly, yeah. Yeah. So that's um, one for uh, for maybe um, a future episode, and we are open for suggestions as well. But going forward, we are definitely going to watch what is coming through the GDPR Hub newsletter and identifying those really juicy, nice cases that we can discuss uh, in a very grumpy GDPR kind of way. Wonderful. Thank you for today. Thank you.